0: Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a church that is learning to live like Jesus for the restoration of our city and the renewal of our nation. During the coronavirus outbreak, we have both online and in-person gatherings across all of our sites in and around Cardiff. So wherever you feel comfortable at the moment, you can engage with church. You can find all of the details you'll need on our website, vineyardcardiff.org sundays. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor, James Rankin. Hi, my name's James. Real, really excited about I'll be preaching to you this morning. I've got my cup of tea, um, big day in the Rankin house. Today, I sent my kids, all three of them off to school. My eldest went to high school for the first time. So that was an emotional moment seeing her all dressed up, you know, when they put their uniforms on for the, you know, for the first time and, and they look a bit oversized. And you're like, oh, you're off to big school. And my little two have gone into school as well. And so I am in the home alone for the first time. My wife Jen's at work. Felt strange coming back. It's it's so quiet. It's so quiet. And I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to go and preach. Um... So excited to to be doing that this morning. Well, we are in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis today. We're continuing. I'm in part four. And in preparing for this talk, I've had the opportunity to read through all, you know, the whole sweep of the story. It's a long story. Uh, There's a lot in there. And the best word that I, I could think of to describe it is epic. And you might be sitting there thinking, James, is that really the best word that you can come up with? Yeah, it is. It, uh, sorry, it absolutely is the best word that I can come up with. I'm sure your vocabulary might be more extensive than mine and you're like, ah, oh, what about this word or this word? So have a little think about what word you would use to describe it as you're sitting there. Maybe mutter that to the person next to you. But it's got a bit of everything. It's probably why it's so well loved and remembered. There's so many themes, you know, favouritism, parenting, 12 sons, two of whom which are more favoured, one of whom... Even more so with this magnificent coat, uh, jealousy of the brothers, envy, betrayal, lying, temptation with Potiphar's wife, integrity, false accusation, dream interpretation, family politics, redemption, power, reconciliation, all of these themes... And I've been slightly overwhelmed by, by the scope. You know, sometimes we're, oh, I could preach on that and I could preach on that. And so I've looked there and I'm like, oh, there's at least five sermons that I could, I could preach on. My, my slight fear is I might be giving you five sermons this morning and you only wanted one. But you know, if that's the case, well, that's the case. For those, so some of you are going to be incredibly familiar with this story, others aren't. You know, this is new to you. So I just want to give you a real kind of one minute recap. Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers who are jealous of him, particularly after he shares a dream of them, two dreams actually, of them bowing down to him. And combine this with the magnificent coat and you've got a toxic environment. His brothers are like, what are we going to do? We need to get rid of this. This Joseph, he's causing us so much angst. So they sell him to uh, into slavery and they tell his father that he is in fact dead. Now, he's sold to a guy called Potiphar and during this time he prospers. And to the point where Pot- Potiphar leaves everything in Joseph's care. He's like, Joseph, you are, ama- you are amazing. Have more, have more, have more. In fact, do it all. I'm going to sit back and let you get on with it. However, Potiphar's wife um, realises that Joseph is incredibly handsome. And she's like, tries to lure him to bed. And repeatedly, time after time, Joseph's like, no, 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 no. In- integrity in that moment. Eventually, she accuses him of trying to rape her or to try to sleep with her, and he is thrown into prison. Even during this time, he prospers. Genesis 39, 22. And God gave him favour with the keeper of the prison. And the keeper put Joseph in charge of all of the other prisoners. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Just this favour of the Lord. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Is this it's this theme that keeps coming? The Lord was with Joseph. No matter what, no matter what situation he went with, went through, the Lord was with Joseph. In so Joseph's in prison. In time, the king becomes displeased with the, the cupbearer and the baker. They're both thrown into prison. While there, they have dreams which Joseph interprets. And he says, you know, one of you is gonna die, and one of you is gonna live. And That's exactly what happens and so they they come out and he said whatever you do remember me you you know when when you're with the king remember that I um, I interpreted this dream and get me out of here basically get me out of here Um, and then it says for two more years for two more years that's huge isn't it you know suddenly like you're like whoa this is a long time he sits there and then Pharaoh has a dream, and, and it's a weird one. Seven fat cows come out of the Nile, and seven skinny cows, and there's a song that reminds me that I'm sure you're thinking of. Seven fat cows came out of the Nile. Whoa, babshiwadawada, bababshiwada. That's what, exactly what you were thinking. And But nobody can figure out what this, these dreams mean. They're like, oh. And, so, and then suddenly the butler goes, oh, do you know what? I remember this guy. He interpreted my dream. Get him out of prison. So they do. They go and get Joseph and Pharaoh says, can you interpret dreams? And Joseph says just this beautiful thing. He says, no, no man can interpret dreams, but I know a God in heaven who can. Isn't that amazing? Even in that moment, Joseph isn't take it on himself. He gives it back to the Lord. He goes away, he talks to God, comes back and says, the dream means that there will be seven years of feast, fat cows followed by seven years of famine. And during the seven fat years, you need to prepare for what is coming. And so they do. And Pharaoh is sitting there and he's so grateful. He's like, yes, this seems like a great interpretation. And he's like, who could I put in charge of this whole project? Who's going to sort this out? Joseph. So in that moment, he goes from prison to effectively being the prime minister of Egypt. And Pharaoh, again, this key verse, 41 verse 38 says, So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Just shines through. It's just so evident. The spirit of God in this man. I don't know whether you have people in your life that feel like that i know for me um somebody who feels like that i think both my parents are incredible and definitely would say that about them but also john wright who leads john debbie who lead the movement and 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 john who's kind of i just think they're amazing you know that I see that integrity of the Lord in them and I'm I, and I'm inspired to be around that that doesn't mean it's always easy but you see it don't you? you see that integrity and you're like yes that is the spirit of God in you what an amazing testimony! and I sometimes think do you know what whatever situation am I'd love that testimony you know and it's a challenging thing isn't it to think well what would that look like for me we see God in you God's nature God's power God's character I've been mulling this this question throughout this whole talk. How would your outlook and attitude in life be different if you believe that God was with you in every moment and circumstance, every moment, knowing God is with us even when we can't see what He is doing. And as I was preparing this, um, there are lots of talks, you know, sermons are written that about this phrase, the pit to the palace, and. Um, and how everything works out in the end, which, which is what we see in this story, you know, through the, all of these lows and then suddenly, you know, reconciliation with his brothers and it, with his family and it all works out. I was, I was tempted to have this triumphant talk about redemption and victory and blessing and favour, all of which are true they're there in this story. It's true. Um, Joseph overcoming his circumstances. And, and personally, I'm a man who loves a happy ending. I'm the, I'm the kind of guy that they write blockbusters for. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I like these, art oh, how small of films with subtitles. And that's Jen. She would always pick the subtitled film in in a different language that's far more creative. I ju- Transformers, do you know what I mean? Straight down, you know, these brilliant films. And you're sitting there, terrible. I, I'm not sure I could say Transformers is a brilliant film. Anyway, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty shallow. I don't even like the middle bit of the story where it all goes wrong. I just like the good ending. And, and, and this is a bit like sometimes the gospel of the American dream, isn't it? Which is a slightly simplistic take on the story of Joseph, which is Joseph had a dream uh, and he fought for that dream and then we kind of skip the middle of the story um, and we're just like, and he worked hard. And then the Lord blessed him and prospered him and made him rule over his brothers. And we can turn that into our situation. Just go after your dreams and if you you work hard enough, you're going to get there. But in, in my experience, God dreams are costly. They are beautiful because in that moment we all know we are absolutely in the will of God. But they're far more about God and his purposes than they are about us. And this, but what God does is he brings our talents and our skills and the uniqueness that he's put in us. And he combines that with the Lord's purposes, something that is so much greater than us. And, and the lens that I really want to look at this talk through is, is chapter 50, verse 20. And so I just want to unpack that as we go through the story. And, and it's kind of all the, It's kind of some of you will know this verse, but it's really deeply profound what it says. It says, you intended me, you intended to harm me. And this is Joseph speaking to his brothers at the end of the story, which. Alice is going to unwrap further next week as she finished the series. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So I've called this talk Living for God in Every Circumstance. Living for God in Every Circumstance. Why did God allow the terrible series of disasters in in Joseph's life? And And I'm sure Joseph asked time and time again, God, why am I here? How have I got here? this is so unfair. What is happening to me? And there's absolutely no indication that God explained to Joseph what he's doing during all of these years of heartache. We, we read nothing about God telling Joseph, Do you know what, it's all going to work out. I'm sure he would have absolutely known that God was with him in the midst, and he would have felt this prospering in all of these different environments. But I don't think Joseph would have sat there and been like, I know exactly how this is going to work out. Nothing in the story tells us that Joseph had any clearer understanding of what God was up to than, than sometimes we do in the midst of our stuff as well. When And, and clearly God's wonderful plan for Joseph's life, life included a huge amount of injustice. And I think it's easy to read the story of Joseph kind of like the American dream. But I think it's deeper than that. I think it's more profound than that. And I think sometimes I just wanted to take a moment of why does God allow the injustice in this story and sometimes in our stories as well? And as humans, we get to glimpse this story. We read the whole 13 chapters, which gives us the whole sweep going oh, It's going to work out all right. And yet hindsight's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You're like... Ah oh, yes. And because you can then go, oh, God, oh, yes, I understand. So Joseph had to go through that in order to meet Pharaoh. He had to do that in order to become the prime minister of Egypt. He had to do that in order that he could then save his brother's lives when the famine came, that God could put him in charge of all of the saving of many lives, all of those people's lives. And we can look at that story and be like, oh, yes, yes, yes. But in the moment, sometimes it's like I can't see it. I cannot see what you're doing. There's a great deal about this world and in particular our own lives that, that we don't understand. In fact, there are times when the Apostle Paul tells us not only do we know what God's up to, but we don't even know how to pray. Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So there's, there's. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that where you feel, I don't even know how to pray. And, and it's almost this... It's your soul. It's like this guttural thing. Like I've got no words. I don't know what to pray. It's just here it is, Lord. Like all I can do almost is present myself before you and give you some of my emotion and what's going on. Is it your will be done, or is it rescue me from this situation? What is it that I'm praying for? There are, there are moments in, in our life when we kind of look up and say, I, I don't know which way to turn. You know, I don't know which way's up and I don't know which way's down. Why are these things happening to me? I don't even know what to ask God for in this moment. And I think there are three things that we have to remember in these moments. And I'm grateful to Rich Nathan for these three things. He's a um, vineyard pastor in the States. He says this, three great biblical truths that we must always hold together when we're suffering. Whenever someone we love is suffering and whenever someone we are counselling is suffering, three great biblical truths. And these are the three truths. I found these incredibly helpful. The first one is the utter evilness of evil. The second one is the utter goodness of God. And the third one is the utter sovereignty of God. We can't shortchange any of these truths. And in the story of Joseph, we see God affirming each of these three great biblical truths, the utter evilness of evil. Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me. Joseph to his brothers, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. So often when Christians are giving testimony about God's activity in the midst of a, of a great trial or, or tragedy, we've got a tendency to minimise or diminish the utter evilness of evil. As we look at this story in Joseph, it was utterly evil what his brothers did to him. You, you know, this, gen, this jealousy and this envy led into action which was to sell him into slavery and then to lie to his father. I mean, the betrayal that all of the, all that's going on in there—that's just evil. And there are things that happen in life that are just evil. So don't, let's not try and explain away evil. Let's just sometimes see it, and it's like that is absolutely against the kingdom of God the kingdom of we always talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness that I absolutely believe in the devil that the devil looks to rob and destroy and get in and lie and falsehood and all of these things that is a real reality the reality of evil evil is always evil and so we have to recognize that there is that going on So the utter evilness of evil, let's not minimise it. Let's not try and get away from it. It's not just the goodness of, you know, the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of darkness as well. At the same time, we have to hold that together with God is always utterly good. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Behind all of the tragedy in the life of Joseph, we must always see the goodness of God. This this three book, God was with us. God's plan for this world and God's plan for our lives is always good. This is the plan that God had from the beginning in Genesis 1. God, after seeing all that he'd created and the world that he made for men and women, Genesis 131, God saw all that he'd made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Psalm 34, verse eight. One of my favourite verses, taste and see that the Lord is good. The utter goodness of God. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And we might say, Lord, I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. Lord, I'm not seeing signs of your goodness. I don't know why this is happening. I'm confused. I'm perplexed. Lament, as Ian talked about last week, when you're in it and you're just like, oh, but as followers, Jesus followers, I know that my God is utterly good. At the core of him, he is good and he wants good for us. Like the gospel song. And I think when I've been to India, when I went to India a number of years ago, the, the, the refrain that I just remember from that, that they said all of the time in the midst of what could be just incredibly difficult situations was God is good all the time. God is good. God is good all the time. God is good. So we've got to hold that, the utter evilness of evil, the utter goodness of God. And then finally, the third biblical truth that must be affirmed is the utter sovereignty of God. Three times in Genesis 45 verses 5 to 8, Joseph said, God sent me to Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Just like we don't want to diminish the evilness of evil, well, it's not really so bad. Do you know what? It's bad. It's terrible. Sometimes it's horrific. And just like we never want to compromise the goodness, the utter goodness of God and say, well, he's mostly good, except when he's not. He is always good. His plans for us are always good. We also never want to compromise or diminish the sovereignty of God. and suggest that there are things that God can't control. Theologians usually distinguish between the decorative will of God in which God directly wills and wishes something to happen on the one hand. And then on the other side, the permissive will of God, which God permits certain things to happen, including evil. However, we look at this, and you know, as I was just preparing this, I was reminded. You know, I I did three three modules at university on in theology on on. Um, free will and and predestination and this whole the sovereignty of God and this whole subject and I was reminded of some of that however we and it is a big subject and it on one hand it is it is really quite vast it's like how exactly does God work in you know what does he allow to happen what does this look like how does evil work it's a huge subject however we, we slice it we need to affirm that something less than God's perfect will is being done Here on earth. Now, otherwise, Jesus would not have instructed us to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Somehow, the will of God is being done in heaven in a way that it's not being done on earth. And we need to pray for more of the will of God to be done on earth as it's currently being done in heaven. And, you know, part of this human story, part of our hope, isn't it, when we're looking at these huge dreams is that this life is not it. That one day that in this life that you will have trouble and many of us like, yeah, I'm experiencing that right now. And that's where we hold on to this future hope idea that one day God is going to make all things right. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. This is the future hope. We're going to sit under the in that place where there is no evil. And personally, I can't wait for that day because there there is this groaning that goes on in this creation, isn't there? This this wrestle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And yes, we know Jesus has won, won the victory on the cross that we live in resurrection power, that the kingdom breaks in and we see signs of it all of the time. And throughout the story of Joseph, we see the kingdom of God breaking in time and time and time again and the will of God. And we see that in our own lives, where God breaks in, speaks through a prophetic word. When somebody is healed, fingerprints of the kingdom, we see all of that. But at the same time, we know something is not quite right. It's not right, is it? That there's a pain, that there's a frustration, that there's a sadness, that we're waiting for one day, the future hope and future glory. So God is utterly sovereign and everything that's being done is being done with the permission of God. And yet there is much evil, and much that God does not approve of. So we see these three things, the utter evilness of evil, the utter goodness of God and the utter sovereignty of God in the life of Joseph. And not only do we see this in the life of Joseph, we see this throughout the scriptures. We see this in the life of Jesus. When Jesus dies on the cross, Peter in the book of Acts sums up the death of Jesus as being the result of utterly evil, morally responsible people. But the crucifixion of Jesus was also in accordance with the utter goodness of God and under the sovereignty of God. So Acts 2, 24, 22 to 24, let's just take a moment to look at this. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Love that last. Impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He was going to be raised. It's all there. Our evil, God's goodness and God's sovereignty. Now, Now, God does not cause evil ever. But he does use evil, but he uses evil to accomplish his purposes. And God does not, you know, there's moments in, you know, we can look at the story of Job and, you know, it talks about suffering and this whole subject. But there's not a definitive explanation. God does not explain evil, but he does use evil to accomplish his purpose. And the Bible promises that God will use all things for our good. Romans eight twenty eight, a verse that many of you will have memorised. It's a key verse and we know that in all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And I believe that when the apostle says all things, what he really means by that is all things, all things. That God will use all of the things in our life for his good, the good things, the bad things, horrific things, things that we hate, things that we love. Trials, tribulation, illness, accidents, disappointments, economic downturns, persecution, unjust suffering, all things, even our own personal failures. All things will, God will use all things for our good sometimes god will use the area of most brokenness and most pain will be our greatest ministry as well often see that don't you where there has been an utter awful thing and that god will use that for for good so what is the good what is god's great goal how will god use everything good bad and otherwise in your life and mine Well, Romans, we often concentrate on Romans 8.28 and don't get to Romans 8.29, but it says this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. When when we go through the pit, when we go through pain and tribulation and suffering, we cry out for justice. We cry out for God to change our perspective. Lord, help me see the situation as you see it. Lord, I can't see it. What's your viewpoint on this? let me see with your eyes there is a dependence that is forged and formed and in my experience God often speaks in the most incredible ways that has been the experience of my life at the lowest moments of my life through some of the most difficult things that me and Jen have been through the Lord has spoken and the nature of these words has not always been to take us out of this situation it's to give us redemptive hope it's to give us hope and to say that God is with us even in this last six weeks God has spoken profoundly to me and Jen through a couple of different prophetic words from random, you know, outside of our community. They've spoken and been like, bang, this is for you, was thinking about you, just want to say this. And often it is, God is with you to remind us. God's goal, God's ultimate goal in all things is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, is that we would look more like Jesus. This is the good to look like Jesus. God is at work using everything to make us into the person that he created us to be. Made in the image of God, filled with Jesus, remade around the character of Jesus, guided by the mind of Christ, displaying the power of Christ. And again, this is what we see in the story of Joseph, don't we? We see Joseph being, Joseph would have been formed through this whole process from this arrogant young man in the beginning, all the way through the story that God uses these moments and that Joseph stays faithful in the midst of it, trusting that God is there, that God speaks to him, that he knows that God is with him. Now, he doesn't know where it's going. I'm sure when that extra two years in prison, the whole time he's in prison, he's like, what? What's going on? But yet gets stayed faithful. He was with Joseph. And bit by bit by bit, Joseph was being formed into the image of Jesus. And that's the same for us. Don't you want to be less selfish and less moody and less irritated by things and more generous and all of these things? And God is forming us. The process of being discipleship, the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Um, Romans 8, 28. Joseph experienced not only life after death, Joseph experienced life before death. He experienced the good and the good wasn't. The high point of his life was not to be made prime minister. Now, God achieved his purposes through that, the saving of many lives. I love that. You just keep coming back. That God is just using these things in Joseph, that God's purposes would be done so you've got these two strings you've got us being formed into the image of christ and then you've got the purposes of god occurring and you it's this beautiful mixture between those two things becoming more like jesus and god's purposes occurring that happens throughout so as i come into land living for god in every circumstance that's the challenge whether in the pit whether in the valley whether on the mountain Whether, you know, Joseph at the end in that reconciliation moment with his brothers or in the prison and this just shining light of people saw the presence of God in Joseph in the midst of the incredible difficulty as he hung on. You know, God is with me and the goodness of God and these three things, the utter evilness of evil, the utter goodness of God and the utter sovereignty of God. We need to stand on those three things. How would your attitude and your outlook in life be different if you believe that God was with you in every moment and circumstance? I just want to pray in finishing. God, I want my life to reflect you in every moment, whether in the valley or whether in the mountain, whether in the pit, whether in the palace. The goal of our lives as followers of Jesus is... To look more like you and to achieve your purposes, to be part of your plan for the salvation of many. I want to see many saved. I want to shine and so I just pray that you take this right now as an encouragement through the story of Joseph, looking at him. In Jesus' name, Amen.